Welcome to the Reimagine Medicine podcast. We explore topics that are shaping healthcare with specialists who are leading innovative change. February is American Heart Month, and this year the theme is heart disease. It can happen at any age. Heart disease doesn't just happen to older adults, it's happening to younger people more often, partly because the conditions that lead to heart disease are happening at younger ages. And so it's important to learn about your risk of heart disease, the steps necessary to have a healthy heart, and avenues or approaches you can take to improve your risk. Dr. Wayne Franklin shares advancements that are improving outcomes for pediatric cardiac patients with us today on Reimagined Medicine. Dr. Franklin is a champion for comprehensive transition from pediatric to adult care for cardiac patients. I'm Dr. Johnny Lifshitz. I'm Dr. Katie Bright. And we're faculty members at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Thank you for joining us. It's great to have you with us. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests and do not represent the opinions of the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, or Banner Health. Do not use this podcast for medical advice. Instead, consult your personal family physician for medical care. Joining us today is Dr. Wayne Franklin. Dr. Franklin is the co-director of the Heart Center at Phoenix Children's Hospital and professor of cardiology with us here at the University of Arizona College of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Franklin. Thanks for being with us. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Thanks again for being with, with us, Dr. Franklin. It's so good to have you. You're always a healthcare hero, but this is this is heart month, so this is your month. Well, thank you. Um, yes, um, it's the shortest month, and it's one of the colder months, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it because at least they give us a whole month. So thanks, thanks again for having me, and I'm happy to talk about heart month. Great. I just wanted to lead off with just emphasizing, we know that we have heart disease in our population. We see it a lot in our older population. Some of it's genetic, some of it is related to lifestyle, such as smoking, and I'm hoping we can get more into that later. Uh, then we also know we have congenital heart disease, so we have, you know, little ones born with heart defects. What we're seeing now is, thanks to modern medicine and recent advancements over the past several decades, we're able to keep these kiddos alive uh, longer and it's exciting. I was hoping maybe you could start by talking about that a little bit in the transition of these, these, these children with congenital heart disease into adulthood and uh, a little bit about the adult congenital heart specialty, which is a really interesting area of medicine. Well, yeah, thanks, Katie. You know, um, cardiology is pretty vast and, and generally cardiology is broken up into, I would think, two areas. One is acquired heart disease. That's kind of the heart disease that people get as they age, such as cholesterol and hypertension and coronary artery disease, heart attacks, things like that. But there's also this area of what we call congenital heart disease. And that's the type of heart disease that affects uh, people or children at birth, the birth defects essentially that people are born with. I found it very important and I really like it because it's the most common birth defect. So it's actually pretty common. It happens eight out of a thousand patients. And people tend to think that it only really is a disease of childhood. But what we're noticing now and what we've seen over the past 30 or 40 years or even longer because the first heart surgery was done in 1944 is that these children who are born are actually making it and they're living to adulthood now. But when they first sort of started this process, if you will, of the first surgery, you know, a lot of the kids, by the time they were reached one years old, they, they would die. And so there was, as they say, there was only about a 10% survival rate if you, were, if you were born with really bad heart disease and very complex congenital heart disease in the 40s. 
but we've essentially reversed that. So now a baby born now in 2021 has a over 90% chance of survival, even with the most severest type of uh, heart disease. Yeah, that is the definition of modern medicine, right? It's to find a, a slice of the population that uh, would be living with a particular risk and find the interventions, not just surgical, but the whole health type of interventions that are gonna give them the strength and the resources to survive. You know, the, the issue that I always have is this designation, almost the binary designation of, oh, look, we've got a pediatric hospital and we have a regular people um, hospital, which means that the pediatric population are not regular people, but also that distinction. So since you're a professor, I'm going to ask you to profess a little bit about age. You know, where is that? Is there a line between pediatrics and adulthood or is it the right thing to blend these into more of a continuum? Well, you ask a really good question. And what's interesting is that, you know, when do you become an adult, right? Is it age 18? Is it age 21? Uh, you know, you guys might agree with me that some people are 30 years old and still not very mature or adult-like. So that's the kind of thing where we have to think about, um, at least in this country, right? 18, 18 is what we use for voting age and, you know, uh, sort of working age, things like that. So that's kind of what, how I would define as an adult. And I, I like definitions because then I can clearly say this patient is an adult because he or she is over 18. So these rules apply, things like that. Phoenix Children's is, is different um, because we take care of patients of all ages. Uh, we even started in fetal life with some of our fetal team and fetal care center and fetal interventions. But we've also noticed now, as I mentioned, that a lot of our patients are surviving well into adulthood. And so we have 18, 25 year olds, sometimes older, 30, 40 year olds still coming to Phoenix Children's. One, because they've grown up with the clinicians there, the doctors and nurses, but also because those are the people who know those type of defects. You know, back when I was training, and I'm not that old, but I can now say back, you know, 20 years ago, a lot of the cardiologists weren't trained to take care of congenital heart disease because they never made it into adulthood. And so they only had to train on heart disease and cholesterol and heart attacks and heart failure and all the acquired type diseases. But now I'm happy to say that we have adult congenital heart disease as part of the training for cardiology fellows because they need to know because these patients are going to come to their offices, you know, and, and they need to know what to do. Granted, I'll tell you, it's only about, well, initially it's about six hours of lectures that they would get, but now it's a whole month. So we're growing. Uh, and we're trying to get there because, you know, it took me a long time to practice this, definitely more than a month, but at least it's something to, to train the, the cardiology fellows these days. So what you're saying resonates with me quite uh, closely. My oldest son turns 18 on Monday. Uh, there you go. Uh, so in, in today's day, he will be eligible to sign up for the vaccine on Monday, but not on Sunday because... <laughs> That's the way the rules go. But the, the vision that I have is he's on an escalator and you know that that line is coming up and, and at the end of that escalator or that moving sidewalk, it creates anxiety. Like, what do I do? And so, you know, I'm imagining your patients who are on the verge of turning 18, who are like, we don't wanna give up our care team and our hospital team and our, our network that's gonna do this. And we don't want to transition out. So knowing that 
Phoenix Children's Hospital sees it as a longer runway or a longer escalator or moving sidewalk is, uh, is what our patients need to reduce that stress so that they can focus on their health. You know, not only that, um, Johnny, I'll tell you, it's also the parents, because the parents wonder what's going to happen when they turn 18, mm -hmm. what's going to happen when they go to college, can they keep coming back to Phoenix Children's? And my stress level's going up. My son turns 18 on Monday. Did you, did you catch that one? No, no, for <laughs> sure. Exactly. But is he going to be mature and a grown up on Monday uh, that he wasn't on Sunday? No, it's a process. So right. we've been trying to address that earlier in teenagehood. The, the American Academy of Pediatrics said you're supposed to start at age 12. Okay. To help transition them. Cause you don't just snap your fingers and look, you become an adult. You get, you can sign your own permission and sign your own consent. So we're trying to start at that. I think we in pediatrics and even pediatric cardiology have not been so good at that, you know, because we tend to hold on to them and the parents love us and we love the patients. But at some point, they are going to grow up. They are going to have to make their own healthcare decisions with our, hopefully with our input. But that's why we're trying to, to transition them to more, a more adult setting. Well, I think that that's amazing. And I can see how your, your med peds background would have you sort of really drawn towards this too. And, you know, every, everyone that's transitioning out of their pediatrician's office and out of peds, some, you know, needs a soft landing, but we're talking about kids with so many complexities and things that they've been challenged with. So having that, that continue, continuous care over the lifespan is awesome. Uh, I wanted to ask a question sort of in that, in that area. So these kids that you're caring for, a lot of them have had multiple surgeries, sometimes probably even other syndromic things that might go with congenital heart defects. And you know, with that comes a lot of emotional health and behavioral health needs as well. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the holistic approach that PCH might take to make sure that the emotional health needs are also taken care of for these, these kiddos? Certainly, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I'm happy to answer it. You know, one of the things that we've started with our transition medicine program is we have um, a, a nurse and a social worker who are dedicated just to these patients. So we're kind of starting a little bit older than 12, so about age 16, where we start to essentially assess them, give them homework, do a whole head-to-toe assessment, do a psychosocial assessment. Are they mature enough? Are they anxious? Do they have, you know, problems like that that go along with some of these chronic illnesses? Because you're right, you know, a lot of them have been in the hospital many, many times in their life, you know, and it's just, we think it's sort of par for the course, but, you know, a lot of them have anxiety, quite a few heart patients uh, have depression, uh, we've noticed, I actually done some research on this as well as a lot of them have neurocognitive problems and don't have great executive functioning, for example. So we've tried to address that by having our social workers being able to counsel them, uh, having them seen by psychology or psychiatry, and really showing them in this process that it's okay that they feel this way and we're going to have to deal with it. And let's deal with it now while you're feeling good and you're medically healthy. So then by the time you turn 18 and you go to college or you want to get your first job, you'd be more equipped and, and better resourced to, to take on those challenges. That's awesome. It's, it's sort of just addressing, giving them the tools and their tool belt that they'll need to succeed. So that's, that's great that you guys focus on that aspect as well. Thank you for sharing your insights, Dr. Franklin. We're gonna have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back and rejoin the discussion shortly. The Reimagined Medicine Podcast is brought to you by the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix.
Dr. Johnny Lifshitz serves as the director of the Translational Neurotrauma Research Program, which is a joint venture through Barrow Neurological Institute at Phoenix Children's Hospital and the Department of Child Health at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, and the Phoenix Veterans Affair Healthcare System. Dr. Katie Bright is the chair of the Curriculum Committee and Associate Dean of Clinical and Competency-Based Education at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. She is a family physician practicing at Bayless Integrated Healthcare. Welcome back to the Reimagine Medicine podcast. We continue our conversation with uh, Dr. Wayne Franklin about cardiology. And Wayne, what I really enjoy about our, our previous segment, and I know it's going to come through, is your enthusiasm for cardiology. Like it, it, I, it touches you in, and drives you in, in meaningful ways. And you were telling us that Phoenix Children's Hospital just got accredited for their pediatric cardiology fellowship. Um, and please tell us more about that and how not only are you going to teach medicine, but how are you going to instill passion for uh, cardiology in our, in our future physicians? Yeah, so we just started that uh, 20, 2020, actually, during the pandemic, which is always a challenge, but uh, kudos to our three fellows who started. And one of the things we noticed uh, that all great pediatric hospitals and pediatric heart programs have a pediatric cardiology fellowship. That's really to, to be part of the club and be part of the upper echelon of pediatric heart centers. You need that because you need to train the future and train the, the physicians of the future are going to take care of these patients. And so we just started that. Um, and we're excited because, you know, again, we only have one year in, but we are going to get a second year class and a third year class. And as we move along, we're happy because these are now fellows. One of them is actually a former Phoenix children's resident and we're able to teach them the things that we've known. And actually it's nice for the faculty as well, because I think we have a really talented faculty and they're able to now tell them and tell the next generation how to train and how to take care of patients, how to become a pediatric cardiologist, which is really invaluable. And again, I think it's one of those things that it's really going to be a really important part. And then when they graduate, they can hopefully go spread the, the Phoenix children's gospel, as it were. And, and we're looking forward to that, too. And as part of that fellowship training along the lines of our discussion about when pediatrics ends and, and more of the philosophy behind it, or is it all hands-on medicine? I just wanna know where, where do you pick up these discussions in, in your medical training about redefining what it means to be a child or, or who cares for which patient? Well, much like the adult cardiology fellows who need to learn some adult congenital, uh, the pediatric cardiology fellows also need to learn that because their patients are gonna survive and their patients are gonna to grow to adulthood and their patients are gonna grow up with them. And like it or not, they're gonna be experts in congenital heart disease. And so people are gonna refer back to them. I remember uh, as a fellow, a lot of adult cardiologists would call me on the pediatric cardiology side, hey, tell me, tell me what's this patient's murmur and wh where does the blood flow? What surgery do they have? Because there's this whole 13 point list of surgeries that they've had over their lifespan that it's our job to explain it to them. So, you know, we're teaching the pediatric cardiology fellows and the adult cardiology fellows this. And I think that's the right way to go about it because who knows where they're going to show up at an adult hospital or a pediatric hospital or your ER somewhere. So, you know, we just have to be prepared and, and then they can call maybe the, the specialist, but it's good to be able to stabilize them and, and treat them initially. I think it's great to see that education kind of disseminated throughout and congratulations on the fellowship. It's very exciting to get, to get some new cardiology pediatric fellows. 
I, I wanted to just expand upon, you had mentioned some fetal cardiology, exciting things earlier on. And I know one of the things you talked with us about before we started the podcast was you're interested in maternal and uh, women's health as well for cardiology. Can you expand a little bit about some of the innovative things you guys are doing right now in that area? Yeah, so I sort of got into this in my prior role in, in Houston. Um, and, you know, these patients, a lot, well, half my patients are female, right? So a lot of them were going to get pregnant during their lifespan. And, uh, you know, so I sort of had to learn this as I, as I went along. And, but I got very much interested in it because, you know, what I found is very few cardiologists are, are, are interested in it and very few are, are really good at it. And so I said, this is a need here. And so this is a really a, a gap in knowledge and a gap in care. So I spent a lot of time at the, um, in the OB clinic and the maternal fetal medicine clinic. And I, and I still do. And I've learned, a, I'd like to say, I learned a lot of obstetrics for a cardiologist and hopefully I taught the obstetrician some cardiology as well too. And I think this is great because, you know, we really want healthy outcomes for the mom and the baby. And so I think, you know, good preventive medicine for them, good intrapartum care for them during the pregnancy will hopefully lead to good outcomes for mom and baby. Um, and, and I'd like to think that we're one of the few programs in the, the city, if not the state, that does this. And, and we've worked very well with our partners here in the Valley, and we've been very pleased. And, you know, we're now we have, you know, hundreds of patients that we've seen over the past few years. And, you know, the outcomes have been really good. And it's kind of nice because everybody wants a healthy baby and a healthy mom. And this way we're able to help achieve that with our good uh, maternal fetal medicine colleagues. Yeah, you just opened my mind to the idea that these that there can be a, a young female with a congenital heart condition who ages up, to, chooses to get pregnant, and then their child may also have a congenital heart condition. So you're you're treating two congenital heart conditions at the same time, which I'm presuming you've had that experience at some point. Yeah, that's happened. I mean, the, the, actually the incidence of congenital heart disease in the fetus or the offspring of a mom with congenital heart disease is actually 10 times normal. Yeah. So it's about 8% as opposed to 0.8%. So we're going to see it. And, yeah. um, you know, it's going to happen and we just have to be prepared. What well, we in pediatric cardiology like to be prepared. Right, so we the, the our our radar is up so much that we're going to do a fetal echo on the on the pregnant woman, right, and look at the baby's heart in the womb, so we can figure out okay how how aggressive do we need to be with being right there at the delivery room, get ready to transfer the baby right away, have neonatology there, have you know heart surgery or cardiac catheterization on standby. As you were talking, uh, I had the the image that you're going to have congenital heart patients who choose to get pregnant whose then children would also have congenital heart defects. And so you are gonna be treating both uh, mother and fetus at the same time, and then shortly thereafter, mother and child at the same time. And as you tell us about your experience with that, um, how good are we at detecting congenital heart disease so that you know um, there may be idiopathic heart disease in a child, but we catch it right at birth or even before birth? You know, are there any late onset congenital heart disease patients that uh, you treat? Yeah, so a lot to unpack there, but I would first start to say that, you know, most of congenital heart disease is spontaneous. So most of it just happens spontaneously. It's a birth defect. There's, there's no uh, genetic or uh, environmental reason. 
But, and, and we're very good though, let me just say, Johnny, we are very good at being, being able to diagnose congenital heart disease, even in the womb, especially the major defects. But what we're noticing is that some of the minor ones we can't get, and those aren't the major ones, but the major ones we can get, and, and I must take a step back and say the OBs who are the first line, if you will, the sort of primary care of the pregnant woman, they do their uh, sonograms, and if they see something wrong with the heart, they see three chambers instead of four, you know, that's an automatic referral for a, a pediatric uh, fetal echo, echocardiogram. You know, the incidence of congenital heart disease in women who have fetuses and babies with, with heart disease is about eight out of 100. So that's 10 times the normal rate, which is eight out of 1,000. So our radar is very high, our antennae are up looking for this, but we've been get very good to be able to diagnose it and then follow it up because we don't want to be surprised in the, uh, in the delivery room when the baby comes out blue and we just like to be prepared whether we need neonatology there or cardiology or even cardiac surgery. So we've, we've gotten very good at that over the years. And then what about late onset congenital heart disease? I mean, you, you talked very briefly about the minor ones, um, but would that be the late onset or what I'm calling late onset? Yeah, yeah. I would say there's a, there's a percentage of heart defects that don't often present in childhood or, or get missed, let's put it that way, because it could take a very astute pediatrician to diagnose it with a murmur or a very, very astute parent who's really honed in. But yeah, there's some defects that, that are not, this, not picked up until adulthood. And those defects don't cause a murmur. Those defects often don't bother a patient or a person as they're growing up. Just this week, uh, Amy Grant, the, the singer, right? The, um, the sort of Christian rock uh, singer, talked about her heart defect that was diagnosed just two years ago. And oh. she was a grown woman and they found it because they were, in, they were interviewing her husband, who I think is Vince Gill. And then they, they turned to her and said, you know, Amy, how's your heart? And so, well, I'm fine, but I have some funny heartbeats. And so her doctor, his, her husband's doctor listened to her, heard a funny defect and diagnosed her with this lesion that obviously she didn't even know she had. And that's probably the third or fourth patient I've heard about that. I've had quite a few patients who have that very similar story. You know, they don't have anything, they feel kind of okay, but when they look a little bit uh, further, they have a defect. She actually had surgery about a year ago and now she's doing quite well. That's fascinating. One of the things that captured me was that beautiful illustration of interdisciplinary collaboration that you, when you were talking about your maternal fetal and how you learned a lot of OB from the OB and the OB learned a lot of cardiology from you. And I think that's just a wonderful sort of illustration of how all the specialties can work together to maximize patient outcomes and uh, learn from each other and maximize care. So uh, I appreciate you mentioning the older congenital discoveries and I was hoping maybe we could transition over to more of, of another big topic with the acquired, the acquired heart disease and things that we see all too much of. And these are the things that are, are a little bit genetic, right? But we also have some lifestyle components. I was hoping you could put your cardiology and education cap on and talk to our listeners a little bit about ways that we can focus on cardiac prevention. Oh, sure, Katie, that's a really important subject. I mean, you know, if you look at all of heart disease, you know, most of it is acquired, right? A small percentage, which is my area, which I love is congenital, but most heart disease is acquired. And so those things we're actually pretty good at and we know what to do. The hard part is doing it. So the things we have to do are pretty simple, right? Easy to say, hard to do. We have to eat well and eat healthy. We have to avoid uh, high cholesterol and uh, try to keep our salt intake down. We have to watch our weight so we don't become diabetic. 
we have to not smoke, okay? We know smoking leads to heart disease. Uh, and then we have to just, you know, get tested. We have to watch our cholesterol as well. Um, and again, active, healthy lifestyle. This is heart month, so I can say that, but we all should do, you know, about 10,000 steps a day if we can. And we all should try to exercise at least, you know, two to three times a week for, for 30 minutes a day. Um, it's hard to do that for busy uh, parents and professionals uh, these days, uh, but we should try to work that in. You know, I, I try to tell my patients, well, or people who are working, you know, even if you work, you have a lunch break, well, walk for that first 30 minutes of your lunch break or do something active and then eat lunch on the second half, a healthy lunch on the second half. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but at least it gives them some options to say, uh, let's at least try it. And probably take it a little slow, right? I mean, we want to encourage people who don't have those habits to introduce them into their life in a slow and meaningful manner so that they, it can become a new habit. Wayne, we're about out of time. And I, as you're talking, I hear such great pride of, uh, that you have in your profession, as well as in your training, as well as in the patients. And then I was thinking about the Phoenix Children's Hospital logo. And I want to know, every time you see that as essentially one of our lead cardiologists at Phoenix Children's, what does it mean to you? Well, Johnny and Kate, I, I love the logo. I mean, um, I, the logo is just brilliant. It, it really, it, it sells itself, right? It's a, it's a hand. Um, I believe it's a right hand, okay? Uh, depends which way you're looking at it, of course. But it's a hand with, with, you know, with five fingers, right? Four fingers and one thumb. And it's got a heart at the bottom. And that logo, I think, is synonymous with Phoenix Children's, and hopefully people think it's synonymous with, with good care and overall care and high quality. Um, I, I just love it. I think it was, it was brilliant. I've seen the logos developed over the years. I think we've had this one since uh, 2001, I believe. Uh, so it's been a long time. Uh, but that's what it means to me. It's a, it's a source of pride, and hopefully it's a source of good things for the people of the Valley and of the, of the state, because we want to be the Children's Hospital for the whole state and the region. And hopefully that logo signifies that. Yeah. Well, you certainly represented that logo well tonight. Your enthusiasm for what you do is it's contagious. Thank you so much for being with us tonight and sharing all of the wonderful things that you're doing. Thank you, Wayne. Well, thank you both very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm gonna now subscribe to this podcast. So Katie, we had the distinct pleasure of having another wonderful guest, a representative of our medical community here in the, the Phoenix Valley, who is absolutely impassioned about not only their discipline, but also sharing that joy um, as they move forward in their own career and, and extend the health and the specifically the heart health. Um, what always amazes me as a neuroscientist is when the cardiologists explain that they can diagnose these conditions and they have a toolbox that can go in and, and tackle those uh, conditions, even as a fetus and even as a fetus of a pregnant woman who also had a congenital heart condition. And it's just so remarkable to know that our hearts are in good care. And uh, what you and I always talk about is the fact that there's the opportunity for preventive care to keep that heart um, healthy as we age. Yeah, absolutely. I was so impressed listening to the ability to detect early, be ready, prevention. Uh, and, and when it comes to the congenital heart, all the advancements we've made to be able to treat, that it's exciting we have maternal fetal. So people are living long enough to have babies. 
and we're able to sort of treat both mom and baby. And, and what's exciting to me about that is the fact that we're also not being in silos, you know, we're taking care of people. We have our own um, specialties developing so that when you turn 18, you don't have to lose everyone that's been surrounding you since birth, taking care of you with this complex condition. You can continue on with the team that knows you best uh, and have kind of that longitudinal treatment over your lifespan. So yeah, Dr. Franklin really just was so passionate and amazing to listen to. And it was very exciting to hear from one of our community clinical partners about all of the exciting things that they're doing in the, in the cardiology domain and for healthcare in general. Yeah, and I know that during these pandemic times, I've tried to focus on my physical health to get my heart rate up to make sure that I'm healthy. And now I'm gonna take with me those uh, words of encouragement from Dr. Franklin, uh, who basically said, you know, live a healthier lifestyle and Absolutely. your body will respond. And you know, as a primary care physician, primary prevention is always where it's at. So that was very exciting that he touched upon that as well. Yeah. So to our audience, thank you for joining us. Tune in next month for an, another exciting discussion that is changing medicine. Lift shits out like a well-functioning GI system. Bright out like a good night's sleep. The Reimagined Medicine podcast is brought to you by the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Join us again as we highlight aspects of clinical care, education, and research in an ongoing endeavor to reimagine medicine. Our podcast team is Dr. Katie Bright, Dr. Johnny Lifshitz, Beth Smith, and the media production team at the UA College of Medicine, Phoenix. Our theme song, Dungeon of Return Days, was written and recorded by Midair Machine. The song is accessible on freemusicarchive.org and used under the CC BYSA 4.0 license.